Have you ever been tempted to give up or check out in your walk with God? Have you been at a place in life's journey where you felt overwhelmed and overshadowed by life's obstacles, setbacks, or heartaches? It could be you are at such a place right now, a place where you are hungering for hope. If so, then Hope Along the Journey podcast is a ministry of encouragement created specifically with you and others just like you in mind. And now, here is your host, Mark Cravens, to share a word of encouragement with you today. Welcome, friends, and thank you for listening to today's episode of Hope Along the Journey. Of course, I'm your podcast and radio host, Mark Cravens, and it's a joy to have you along with us today. I would just like here at the very beginning to encourage you to drop us an email at some point. Let us know that you're listening and what you think about the episodes of Hope Along the Journey that you've been listening to. That email is hopealongthejourney at gmail.com. Again, that's hopealongthejourney at gmail.com. Be sure to visit our website at hopealongthejourney.org. And when you go to the website, there will be a stay in touch screen that will pop up. When that pops up, would you just put in your email and that'll get you on the newsletter. We'd like to start sending out to all of our listeners our monthly newsletter to keep you in touch with what's happening and what's taking place in this exciting ministry that God has opened up for us. It's always great to have guests on, and today I have the most honorable and distinguished <laughs> Dr. Aaron Prophet. Aaron, welcome to today's episode of Hope Along the Journey. Thank you, Mark. It's good to be with you. You look great, Doc, there in front of that microphone and those and with the headphones on. You look plum professional. Hey, we we got to do what we got to do. Yeah, he now for those who don't know, he used to be my boss or one of my bosses. So I have to, I have to I have to tread very softly as I move through this. But Aaron is a college teacher and administrator with teaching experience in both public and the private sectors. He currently serves as vice president for academic affairs at God's Bible School in college. He has a strong interest in issues related to biblical higher education. Uh, higher education accountability and assessment, faculty development, and higher education accreditation. And he also serves as an evaluator for a very important organization called the Association for Biblical Higher Education's Commission on Accreditation. I said all that and got it right, didn't I? Yes, sir. You did. I tell you what. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm glad to get all of that out of the way. The important uh, thing is he's a, that he is a husband and a father of three sons. Yes. And got a great family. And also, he is my friend. Hmm. And that's that ranks right up there at the top, Aaron. So I, thank you. I agree, Mark. I feel the same way about you. Yeah. Well, we're glad to have you. And I'm thankful you took some time out of your busy schedule. Now, God's Bible School and College. Uh, probably a lot of our listeners know, but a lot of our listeners don't know. Sure. Tell us what is this great school called God's Bible School and College? I would love to do that. Uh, so I, I am in a minority of employees who uh, are not graduates of God's Bible schools. So I always feel like I get to brag a little bit more than they do because it, uh, <laughs> it's not my alma mater. Um, God's Bible School and College has operated in the heart of Cincinnati since 1900. Uh, I am sitting in my office in the original building, which was a house overlooking downtown Cincinnati that our founder purchased. And we've been holding classes uh, since then. Our mission is really still the same that it's always been to train servant leaders to proclaim Jesus Christ and spread scriptural holiness around the world. 
we've always been a small school. Um, we're under 500 students uh, on campus and online. And we're not trying to do all of the things. There are lots of really wonderful degree programs we don't offer. Mm -hmm. And thank God for other Christian colleges and universities that do. But our focus is on preparing people for vocational ministry, pastoring, counseling, missions, music ministry and education, missions, uh, things of that nature, as well as preparing Christian lay people who will be active in their churches and will understand that whatever their job is, they're placed there by God uh, to show the love of Jesus to the people they come in contact with. Well, Aaron, thank you for sharing with us about God's Bible School and College. And as many people know, I've taught there for a number of years. Yes, yes. And they put up with me, and <laughs> and now I still teach a little bit online. And so I, my heart really is with God's Bible School and College. It is a great, great college. And numbers of pastors and missionaries around the world have been sent out from the halls of God's Bible School and College. I just like to encourage people who are listening who either you are looking for a good college or you've got somebody that's looking to go to Bible college, and I would really highly recommend God's Bible School and College. Well, back to our subject today, Aaron. I, I told you that I wanted us to especially address uh, what is really, a, I feel like, a very important topic, and that is this matter of hope and optimism in the lives of of young people today. Statistics we were reading are alarming yes, and frightening. Um, so many young people, high school and going into college, feel they don't have any optimism about the future. They feel like there is very little hope for the future. Their own personal lives are filled with a lot of um, hopelessness and despair. So are you seeing that? Are, and is that our Bible college exempt for that? Are you seeing some of that in the lives of young people, and why do you think that is? Yeah, I, you know, Mark, I think we we see it here just like everywhere else. Um, as I interact with colleagues in Bible colleges across the country, I, I don't think there's any population that's exempt from this. Um, you know, our our students, whether they're coming from um, deeply churched families where generations of their families have been heavily involved in church and they've been in Christian school. Even there, no one is isolated from the culture around us. And, you know, we know um, from scripture that the, the rulers of this world, the prince power, the air, they're not optimistic. Right. And so the culture that we inhabit, uh, I think, filters through into our lives and families and workplaces. Mm -hmm. And so I think we do see it. I think that, I think it's, it's uh, probably less extreme mm -hmm. and I think it's, it's intermixed with reasons for hope. Uh, but I think the trend is still there mm -hmm. um, among our students as well. Do you, what do you, th besides of course the spiritual component, which is the number one component, what do you think about even the recent pandemic and all that, the yeah, upheaval totally. and I mean, thing I don't know that things will ever be back to the normal you and I once knew. Yeah. How do you think yeah. that has shaped and influenced young people? Yeah. So, so I, I tend to see, and, and really I think what you're, what you're tapping into there is one of the key causes mm -hmm. of, of hopelessness or despair. And that I would call just loneliness or, yes. or isolation. Yes. Um, I think that's a, a long running cultural trend. I'm thinking of, uh, 
the classic social science book by Robert Putnam, Bowling Alone, where he looked at the, the demise of bowling leagues. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he traced, and, and not just bowling leagues, other, other involvement in civic organizations, uh, churches, uh, you know, clubs. Right. He, he traced that to the high prevalence of television in homes because he said now people, they have entertainment right in their houses. Mm-hmm. They just sit in front of a screen. Uh, and so they don't, they don't go out and participate in, in, in groups. Um, now that's a long, long, long time ago. Um, but with the pandemic, we suddenly saw the option of engaging in group events taken away for right. all or nearly all of the country for an extended period of time. And even if people were able to engage in clubs, you know, my church stayed open most of the time, there were all of these differences. Um, and, and I, I think, I mean, I, I'm not suggesting that we were wrong to, to be careful. What I'm saying is uh, it had an effect. Yes. And a trend that was already there toward isolation was suddenly rocketed to levels that we literally hadn't seen for a century mm-hmm. since the 1918 pandemic. Yeah. And I think you're right that we're never going to get back to uh, what, what, what you and I would consider normal. But I think it's actually maybe worse than that. I think about what's in the minds of uh, young people mm-hmm. who are have been at a much more formative age and stage during all of this, even if all of the the business practices were, were completely back to normal, no more plexiglass shields, no more ubiquitous hand sanitizer, still in their minds, um, groups and the world in general uh, are now unsafe. Um, yes. And I think that just exacerbates the trend to, to isolation. I think you're absolutely right, uh, because we, you know, through so much social media and can, and again, let, I mean, let's just face it, young people today and have been for many years are very plugged into, yes. you know, their groups, a lot of their groups are, are not even, their virtual groups are yes. not even, yeah. so they were very, a lot of limited group involvement to begin with, right. but you take away the, the youth activities, you take away the youth camps, you take away all of those what social fibers were still part of their life that they were that they were involved in and all those fibers were snapped for a period of time and it's like i mean just now you know we're just beginning to see some of our yeah. camps and youth camps reopening right. which are huge right. for a lot of cultures uh christian cultures yeah. they're very important they're, right. they're big annual events where young people get to be with other young people for extended period of time and interact. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, I, you know, you touched on social media. That's one of the other things um, that was on my mind when it comes to, to hopelessness. Um, while, while Putnam's point about television is old hat, mm-hmm. uh, just think about how screens have proliferated in the lives of of all of us, but particularly young people. Yes. So, so now, um, I, I think a lot of people spend many, many hours a day mediating their interaction with other human beings through screens, whether it's email, Mm -hmm. video, even video chat, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and we now have 
screens on our smartphones and screens on our tablet computers and screens on our laptops and screens on our desktops and screens on our televisions and screens all around us. You can't go to a restaurant (laughs) and have a meal without there being screens everywhere you look. Mm And the problem is not the screen. I mean, I'm delighted that I can carry a library with me in my pocket when Absolutely. I travel. I think the problem is uh, that, as, as you mentioned, young people's friends, many of them are interacted with virtually. And that's not the same as embodied community. That's just not the same thing at all. And worse, the screen invites us all to modify how we present ourselves to other people. And to filter all of our photos and um, to, to present ourselves on whatever social media channel we're on as if every aspect of our lives is Instagram worthy. Mm-hmm. And then the people on the other end, the people who are receiving that feel pressure to measure up. And the Absolutely. thing is, everybody knows, you know, at some point you have to clean your refrigerator. And at some point, the trash can is full, but nobody ever puts that on Instagram. And so it begins to seem like no one else has this boring life that I have. No one else has the problems I have. They're all doing fine. Mm -hmm. What's wrong with me? And if you're already isolated and alone, and then you feel no one else understands my problems, no one else has it as bad as I do. No one else has the, the, the challenges and struggles I have. That. I think tends to push people to more isolation yes. and more loneliness because I can't talk to anyone about, it. I can't be honest about this. I can't get help. And it just spirals into increasing levels yeah. of isolation. And I think to me, that's, that's probably the single biggest issue producing a lack of hope. Yeah. Uh, in, in the generations behind you and me. Yeah, that's that's extremely uh, insightful. You know, I I was listening to what you were saying, and I'm and I was thinking too about, you know, this is a generation mm-hmm. that values being authentic. Yes. Yeah, and yes. yet, yes. so much of social media is anything but authentic. Absolutely. It's the you know we we you know, nobody ever puts their pictures out there of your morning hair. No. It looks like you stuck your finger in a light bulb socket or something, and you're three inches taller because it's standing on end, and you got these big bags under your eye. You know, instead, right. it's got to be this picture perfect yeah. moment, and yeah. and then immediately, what are you doing? You're seeing how many likes you're going to get all day Absolutely. long. You're just seeing, and then you're comparing. Like, man, I posted that picture, and I only got forty five likes, and my friend posted. A picture and they got 375 likes, you know? Right. And so we're right. comparing ourselves. And what do we tell ourselves? I'm not likable. Right. You Absolutely. know, I, I'm, my life is less than, I'm not as important as. And, and yet, like you said, so much of the social media is unreal. It's, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a picture perfect Kodak, as we used to say in old school, it's a Kodak moment. Everything is a Kodak <laughs> moment, right? Yeah. 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 And I, I think, um, you know, uh, this gets addictive. Yes. Um, checking how many likes do I have now? And the social media channels make this worse by wanting to throw alerts at us as we get likes and as we get comments. And so it creates this, this uh, feedback loop of constantly checking to see how my post is doing and comparing, as you said. Um, and that's exhausting. 
That is exhausting. It's as if your entire life is a performance on a stage for an audience and you're never off stage. You're never in the green room. Um, and I, I, uh, I, I, I don't want to live that way. No. Um, and, uh, and yet that's where I think a lot of our young people are. Absolutely. Well, that's, that's very important. Uh, you know, as I, I was thinking too about this matter of loneliness, which again is one of the great feeders into this sense of hopelessness and mm-hmm. the feeling of you know, even despair. Are there any other areas that you see where, what about ministry? Are kids today hopeful about ministry and the future in ministry? Or is there a lot of apprehension as they think about the future of the church and ministry? My mind immediately goes to generational differences within the church in the way people think about evangelism. Um, And I understand that ministry is much broader than just evangelism, but I think there's some impingement there. Um, I I don't think it's a, a, a shocking statement to say that America, um, American culture is increasingly not necessarily anti-Christian, but not Christian. Um, there are norms that are shifting and, Uh, The church, members of the clergy are not seen as positively by non-Christian people as they used to be. And the work of the church, I think, is increasingly seen um, as somehow suspect. I mean, just within the last couple of weeks uh, this summer, we've seen people come out attacking crisis pregnancy centers and wanting to regulate or destroy them. And so my perception, and I think there's data behind this, if you look at the work that Barna does uh, with younger Christians, there's a concern about how the message, how what young people believe to be the message of the church right. is going to be received outside Christian communities. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we can see traces of that in a lot of different ways. One of those would be the passion younger Christians have for different kinds of involvement. Um, I'm thinking of things like racial reconciliation and um, combating uh, present-day slavery uh, and other other, um, emphases on justice and care for the least of these. Mm -hmm. Those seem to me to be more in the minds of young Christians today Mm -hmm. than when I was their age, when my parents were their age. And there seems to be less immediate turn to um, personal evangelism, for example, than there used to be. And so I think, uh, I, th- I think that's a nuanced, um, that's, that's, a, that's a nuanced question because I think they're still very interested in ministry. I think they're interested in different kinds of ministry than were common 20 years ago. Um, when I, you know, first started work here. Right. Well, even if you go back to the history of God's Bible school down through the ages, go back to when, you know, when they started a hundred years ago and forms of ministry. I mean, that what what were some of the things they had? I mean, didn't they have at one time? um, I mean, orphanages orphanages. and soup kitchens and yeah, actually it's kind of a recovery. You're right. Mm -hmm. It's a recovery of the American holiness emphasis of 125 years ago. Mm-hmm. on a deep concern for the least of the, our second president um, was, was single 
when he became president and then married uh, another employee. And for their wedding reception, they served ice cream to orphans at one of the missions in downtown Cincinnati. That was just yeah. uppermost in their minds. That sort of thing seems to me to resonate very deeply yeah. with young people today. The great, and I think that's it's fantastic. Yeah, like the great Thanksgiving meals that they used to have on the hill there at GBS. Absolutely. Where they would bring all of those thousands, thousands of, of impoverished yeah. people up and feed them on at Thanksgiving. Absolutely. And, and, and it's amazing. And it, and it was inextricable from the gospel. So part yes. of the Thanksgiving feast yeah. was while, while one group is eating, you fill the chapel with the next group mm-hmm. and you sing and you preach and then they go and eat. And, and so there was an understanding of uh, what uh, James writes so clearly in the New Testament. If you see someone who's hungry and you say, be filled, and that's right. it, right. you have not done much for him. And um, so, so when I look at young people and their interest in these mm-hmm. things, I'm delighted. Um, we're, I, I hope, I think we can recover a fuller understanding that the gospel of Jesus Christ transforms everything, including our compassions. Yes. And it gives us a heart for the least of these. And so I, I think there is some hope and optimism for ministry. Our students are excited about opportunities to minister that's just built into the, you know, it's built into the curriculum here. Um, but I'm actually seeing a diversification of ministries. They're wanting to start new ministries. Mm-hmm. They're wanting to to respond to needs they're seeing that we don't currently have a ministry that addresses. Mm-hmm. Um, that used to be more common. And then it went through a yes. period of time where people just kind of slotted into what was already there. Mm-hmm. And just in the last four or five years, we're seeing a resurgence of interest in but maybe we could call it entrepreneurial ministry, doing new yeah, things. Right. And I think, too, one of the beauties of it is it's ministry beyond the four walls of the sanctuary. Absolutely. I think for way too long, everything had to happen in the four walls, including evangelism, had right. to happen in the four walls of the sanctuary. I'm not against it happening within the four walls. Absolutely. But it seems to me like when we limit it to the place of gathering, and that's the only place we really do ministry, we are we are really missing what the Bible teaches us about ministering to the least of these and about ministering not only to the body of Christ, but to ministering to the world in which yeah. we live. You know, if you look at the book of Acts as the, as the, as the new church, mm-hmm. the newborn church is figuring out what it looks like to be the church in the world. It, it seems to me that they're the church Monday through Friday, not yeah. just on the weekend. <laughs> and it seems like the yeah. power of the Holy Spirit is working through them everywhere they go and everything they do. Yes. Uh, And obviously, I mean, I hope it's obvious that centers on the local body that meets together Mm -hmm. within the sanctuary. And, and I think that's something young people crave as well. Genuine community. Yes. Not, not church as spectator sport, Mm -hmm. genuine community Mm -hmm. um, and a sense of rootedness in that community. Mm -hmm. But then they want to take that out into everyday life. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's great. You know, the Bible teaches us very clearly that pure religion and undefiled before the Father, here it is. Are you ready? Yeah. yeah. Care for the widows and orphans and keep yourself unspotted from the world. I think some of us have worked overtime about keeping the spots out, but we have neglected the needs of people around us. And I and. Even as you go through the Old Testament, it's amazing to me how God judged nations, and one of the things he judged them for was the way they treated the poor, the widows, the orphans, and the strangers among them. Absolutely. It's amazing. Absolutely. I don't know if you've seen Christopher Wright's new book, Here Are Your Gods, um, but it is no. a 
searing book um, aimed at the Western church on exactly that issue. Um, how easy it is for us to create gods of affluence and power. And, um, and when, the, when, when the nation of Israel in the Old Testament got interested in affluence and power, That's they right. inevitably quit caring for the poor among them. And, and, and over and over again, the prophetic voices in the Old Testament bring God's condemnation on that. Absolutely. Well, we don't have a lot of time, but we have a few more minutes left. So I kind of want to shift this conversation. I told yeah. you we would do this, but this, this has been great, Aaron. Thank you for all this. Uh, we could just go on and on. So what are some of the things? You've already hit on them kind of lightly, but let's go a little more in-depth, too. So yeah. you see this need. You see that young people want this community, and they want this opportunity to serve in ways that might be a little out of the box mm-hmm. and to uh, – to address what they perceive as some of the injustices and real needs of our society. So what is GBS doing to help prepare or to instill a sense of hope and optimism for the future in the lives of these young people? Yeah. So I I think that comes in three stages, which are kind of three concentric circles. Um, If a young person comes in with a sort of hopeless outlook on life, probably part of the issue is inside their own mind and spirit, who they think God is. And uh, my, my pastor likes to say that the more he sees Jesus as he's presented in scripture, the more amazing and attractive and compelling yes. Jesus is. And that's because when we see God as he is, um, there, there's, there's no response but abandonment and love and devotion right. um, because he is for us. He is for us. And some young people come and for whatever reason, and it doesn't matter what the reason is, they they've not seen God as he really is. And so through chapel services and through uh, teaching of scripture in our classes and discipleship groups, and just the culture on campus or in our online classes as teachers interact with students, we want to help students um connect with God as he is and get a vision for who he is, the God who defines himself as love, the God who all through scripture and all through human history has been seeking us, not demanding that we seek him on our own. And so that's, that's the first thing. The second thing, and these kind of kind of bleed into each other, of course, is the community here on campus. And and Mark, you've been part of this and, and, uh, and a deeply loved part of it, but there's uh, people talk about a campus family, um, but here there is a campus family. Yes, and so mm-hmm. uh, employees and our families were eating in the dining hall with students and we've got students in and out of our homes and discipleship groups and students coming by offices right. and students interacting with one another and, and having their own prayer groups and their own accountability groups. And so trying to create uh, m- multiple opportunities for students to be part of an authentic community where it is safe to be who they really are where they're going to find the love of God shown to them, not just from God, but through God's children uh, around them in community. And this is true in our online courses as well, because, um, and you know, from teaching online, students will be in your class one semester and then they'll be there the next semester. And so really uh, deep relationships can develop uh, even through the online, the online medium. Absolutely. That's, that's that second sphere where um, young people are able to say, not only do I do I see God and I know he loves me, but I see how people show each other the love of God and together we become the body of Christ. That's really important, I think, 
for equipping and preparing them 72. for that third circle, which is is going beyond the body of Christ into the world around us. And we talked about that earlier, but we've had students form um, a group of singers that would go to a nearby hospital on a Sunday yes. afternoon and just go up and down the hallways where they are wanted, singing, uh, singing Christian songs to people who are going through deep difficulty. Uh, or maybe it's our, our prayer team going out on the streets of Cincinnati um, and simply asking people, is there anything I can pray for you about? Um, and that, and that, those simple questions have led to gospel transactions where someone uh, says, I, I, I don't know God. Uh, and so there's an opportunity to share the gospel. Um, students in churches involved in, in church ministry, mm-hmm. students working in missions. I mean, just on and on and yes. on it goes. Yes. Um, students writing, writing uh, cards to shut-ins, people who are not able to connect with their own church body. These are ways where we're helping our students understand that the hope of the gospel is not just for you to feel good and be happy. The hope of the gospel is something that needs to flow through you and be shared with other people. And I think in sharing that hope, uh, we ourselves increase our own sense of, of optimism about what God is doing in the world. So, th- I mean, those are, those are kind of big categories yes. uh, of things that we try to do here. Um, we're having a great time serving Jesus. Amen. Uh, we, we don't have complaints and regrets around here. <laughs> and so we want our students to experience that yes. overflowing abundant yeah. life that comes uh, from, from, from the hope of the gospel. And I can testify from having been on faculty there that one of the most beautiful things is the fact that the people there care deeply about the students. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, they're like you said, they eat with them in the dining hall. They have them in their homes in discipleship groups. They take time on the campus to just to listen to them and, and, and invest in them. And I think that's one of the, the most beautiful things, even though it's a great academic college, the God's Bible school offers to young people is that personal touch that is yeah. so critically important. Yeah, and we can't ever lose that. However big we get, however many degrees we we, we have, and thank God for all those things. Yeah, um, those relationships are are key. I think. Yes, uh, they for, are. For, for being a Christian college. That's so true. Well, Aaron, it's been good to have you on. Thank you. The episode today for Hope Along the Journey, and appreciate your insight. We'll have to get you back, and because I know there's a lot of wonderful topics that I would love to discuss further with you. And it's always a blast to talk with you. So. <laughs> The problem, well, the problem is keeping it short enough. That's the problem. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because every time I stop by your office, I say, J- you got just a minute. Next thing you know, 20 <laughs> minutes later, I'm walking out, you know. But such a good 20 minutes. Oh, it was. It. Yes. It. Yes. Well, friends, thank you for listening today to Hope Along the Journey. We appreciate you listening. And as we close today's episode, again, I want to point you to Jesus Christ, who is truly the hope of the world. And if you look to Jesus, you can find hope along the journey. God bless you. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you would like to know more about Hope Along the Journey, or if you would like to make a donation to show your support and appreciation for this ministry, then visit our website at hopealongthejourney.org. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again for more Hope Along the Journey.